This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Regardless whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDP. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming. 800-913-GOLD. 800-913-GOLD. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Well, let's see. I don't even know where to begin today. Gary Johnson, um, right before the debate, was in an interview, and uh, they talked to him about Aleppo. And he kind of blew a gasket, and I want you to hear the audio. Um, It's different than watching the video. Watching the video, it was weird and awkward. Listening to the audio, I tend to agree with him. Um, Yesterday... Congress vetoed, I'm sorry, Congress overturned Obama's veto. I'm wondering if we've thought this one through and prepared for the possible consequences from Saudi Arabia. Eric Trump yesterday said it took courage for my dad not to mention Bill Clinton's infidelity. Right. I'm not sure if he understands what the definition of courage is and... Miss Universe or Galaxy or whatever she is, the one that Donald Trump called Miss Piggy, um, she was doing an interview with Anderson Cooper. And Anderson said, you know, I, I, I mean, I do have to bring out that, you know, in Venezuela, you know, you look like you were part of a, 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 a murder and you drove the getaway car. And she said, well, I'm not a saint. I, (coughs) Eric, we need to look at the dictionary and courage and Miss Universe. We need to look up the definition of saint. And we begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Uh, Can you find the audio for us real quick on this, uh, Pat? Is that possible? On which? On uh, Miss Universe. Yeah, we're looking for it right now. Okay. It's it's pretty remarkable. As he's looking for it, let's let's go to um, uh, Eric Trump. It was a big, uh, big moment for me and uh, will probably actually become my life in this campaign. Probably something I'll always remember, said Eric Trump after the debate. Eric Trump said yesterday that it took courage during Monday night's debate for his father to refrain from bringing up Bill Clinton's infidelity, saying it was something he'll always remember. 
I mean, he very well could have looked down and he said that when he came off the debate stage, I wasn't going to respond with that kind of question because I saw Chelsea in the first row and I wasn't going to go out there um, and uh, and go out there with anything but respect for her. That was a big moment for me personally, and uh, it will actually become my life in this campaign, probably something I'll always remember. I mean, he really took the high ground where he had the opportunity to go very, very low, and I'm proud of him for doing that. I mean, I'm really proud of him for doing that. I think people recognize that. I mean, there are a lot of people who had come up to me, including many in the media, who said, listen, he could have crushed her on that last question. He could have probably hurt the family if he did. I'm sure a lot of the media came up to Eric Trump and said, hey, oh. he really hurt the family. And I, I thought that was classy. Um, I don't know. I think that took a lot of courage. It was like so a reception regards. line waiting for him afterwards. Was there? Yeah. And each one of them each stopped one. at Eric and said, hey, you know, that took a lot so of courage. So let me ask you something. Dad's a beautiful man. <laughs> let me ask you something. Because uh, this kind of stuff... <laughs> bothers me because I would rather have, I can actually have respect for people who have the courage to say it to my face yeah. as opposed to saying it behind my back. Have the courage to say it to my face. So I think it actually took less courage for him to, you know, his son to go out and say, yeah, you know, uh, Hillary's husband, boy, he just Anything that moves, he's on top of. Um, Plus, well, you're saying that. Now the Trump family is out saying that. What, Chelsea can't read? Well, she's been a part of this forever anyway. And can, can, right? I mean, she, it's not like she doesn't know that her folks... <laughs> it's not like, wait a minute. Somebody, what? Dad did what? No. <laughs> no. I mean, doesn't it take more courage to say it? And say it with respect. I, I don't even remember what the last question was. Do you guys remember? No. He's talking about the Machado thing, right? Was he talking about was he talking about that? I can't remember. There was a moment where she, he brought up. She, she was the one that was beating him up about calling women pigs or whatever. Oh, right. yeah. It was in that area, right. and that yeah. was where the And he could have brought it up then. There's yeah. a difference between restraint and courage as well. There's a difference between common human decency and courage. But I think you could have said. And for him to could be have been, so proud of him because he, he missed one moment <laughs> to, to belittle and and disparage somebody. Ooh, wow. That's you know what? I don't think. Bar. Hang on just a second. Pretty I don't think that's a low blow. The charges are he's she's making charges about him, and there are lots of charges out there. Yes. About how he treats women. Well, there's lots of charges and really respectable uh, respectable women um, who have come out and said she threatened me. She she's covering for her husband or she did 20 years ago. There's nothing wrong with that and say, well, Hillary, I mean, if we want to play that game, we could talk about Juanita Broderick and what she has said that you actively um, uh, went after her and anyone else that had a charge to make. Right. I, I agree. Mean, you could re- respectfully say that. I don't know if you need to, but. You could respectfully say that. Well, how yeah. low has he set the bar when you've got his son gushing over the fact that he didn't bring it up once? I mean, right. that's a pretty low bar that he's set. Right. And two parts of this, because number one, if he says it, he needs to be prepared with with his own defense as to, I mean, and this is a guy who divorced one of his wives by leaking his affair to the Daily News, leaving the Daily News on the bed and then going to breakfast. 
I mean, this this guy it took a lot of courage. Is that, is that really it took what a lot of courage? That is, yeah. it's been the story for years and years oh and years. Um, uh, it, it took a lot of courage. I'm really proud of him. For right. So he's, but he's got to have, <laughs> he's got to have a defense to that because obviously she's going to bring up his past, which is, I mean, again, if if you want to look at this thing, you know, in the in these terms, Hillary theoretically has been painted as the victim in this case. Now her her handling of the women uh, and and the way she went after them is certainly at issue, but she wasn't the one cheating. She was the one being cheated on. He was the one cheating. Yeah. So, I mean, in that, he's going to have to have an answer to that, which I'm sure he does have, but still, you're going to bring that up in front of the entire audience. The second part of this, if he's so courageous about not bringing it up, then why immediately afterwards, when he's walking through the media, he says, well, uh, I was going to bring that up, and uh, and I I didn't. And then they said, well, what was it? Well, maybe you'll know in the next debate. Well, I mean, it's not, he's saying he's going to bring, he just didn't think it was the right time to bring it up. He's still holding it back as an option to bring up anyway. So it's not courageous. He didn't take some moral stand here. He's just looking to here's see the, what will benefit him the most, which, you know, here's the problem from a politician. Is there anyone in this story? When I heard the, uh, the Anderson Cooper interview with Miss Universe, honestly, you could soap opera writers would look at what's happening and they would mock this. <laughs> they would say, okay, come on. In fact, we have a soap opera writer. Ellen, is this, is this soap opera of, of the last year and all of the things that are going on? Imagine if I come to you and I say, okay, all right, all, so far we've done all the things that Donald Trump and, every, and Hillary Clinton have done. Okay, these are the characters. Now... We're going to have her bring up a Miss Universe that he called Miss Piggy, and we're going to smear her. But what they don't know is that in Venezuela, she drove the getaway car in a murder. It's always been one of my favorite things when real life trumps, haha, trumps what could, you could write in a soap opera and people would say, you can't write that storyline. That is too outrageous. So, you know, Ellen is an Emmy award winning actress and wrote... Did you just write Guiding Light? Guiding Light. Okay. And she was on... Just. just. She wrote every episode of, like, for three years. Um, uh, And she was on Bold and Beautiful and and everything else. So there's no story I can't make up, right? right. I've made up... And you I've played an evil twin. I played an evil twin twice. Wow. <laughs> well, and three times if you count real life, right? right. Three times okay. if you count, you know, my, my, own, my own marriage. But... Right. Um, but I, Wait. But I <laughs> there might be something to delve into at some point on that. <laughs> but I do. But I do think it's fun that when when life is bigger than the weird art that you could create, and people people would have beat me up for writing a story that <laughs> right. Yeah, they would. They would say said, no yeah. way anybody yeah. would believe this. Yeah. No way. The only thing that we haven't seen so far is an evil twin. That's the only thing. Or oh my gosh. Oh, maybe, wait, 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 wait. Maybe Zuckerberg is right. We're in the Matrix. Oh, please let this be a dream. Please let me wake up in the shower. Please let this be a dream like it was in Dallas. Um, (laughs) But we have kind of seen the twin, right, with the Hillary double. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we kind of have. Yes, we have. So we only have the dream sequence left. Right. So that ends happy. This was Miss uh, Universe, um, which is, that's a little bit... uh, 
presumptuous I mean, of us. We at least right? just could we downgrade her to at least Miss at Galaxy least. Solar System? Yeah, Solar System. We know she's maybe the most beautiful in the Solar System. Right. We have no idea about Galaxy right. or Solar System. And who are we to judge? But here's the Anderson Cooper interview. You said that you know the Trump campaign will try uh, to discredit you. There, there are uh, reports that Trump surrogates uh, tonight have been referencing and pointing to on CNN and elsewhere about an incident in 1998 in Venezuela where you were accused of driving a getaway car from a murder scene. You were never charged with this. The judge in the case also said you'd threatened to kill him after he indicted your boyfriend for the attempt to <laughs> murder. I just want to give you a chance to address these reports that the hey, Trump surrogates are talking stop. about. Stop. Now... You're watching this and you're and you're thinking to yourself, "There's no way this can be true." Right? You're thinking right. she's going to say, "Absolutely right." Not. There's no way this can be true because Trump I mean, people are making that up. Yeah, because Hillary would never pin her hopes on a Miss Universe thing, who, oh by the way, also assisted in a murder. <laughs> right? Right. Here's her answer. He can say whatever he wants to say. I don't care. You know, I have my past. Of course, everybody has. You have a past. Everybody has a past. Oh. And I'm yeah, but not everybody has participated in a murder. Oh, wait, 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 wait. And so far, I'm still believing her. When I'm watching this, I'm still going, okay. Maybe she's just saying I'm he's not. just making. No, no, no. I'm point. thinking he can say whatever he wants. He's just making this up. She's gonna. She's going to come back and say that's ridiculous. But. You know, Donald, he says whatever he wants to. He believed the National Enquirer. I thought that's where she was going at this point. No, uh, a saint girl. She's not a saint girl. I'm not, a saint not a saint girl. girl. So when I heard that, I thought, <laughs> hmm. Let's see. Well, and Mother Teresa us. is technically uh, a saint, and yeah. she didn't murder anyone that we know of. She set the bar way too high, <laughs> right? Not by not right. murdering somebody. Yeah, uh, we can't. We can't all do that. <laughs> we can't all do that. I'm not a saint. That's no, I think you misunderstand the definition of the word saint. I mean, I think obviously this plays to whether this is going to be an effective campaign for Hillary Clinton. It's not. Does anyone think that? Does it make it okay no. to call a Venezuelan woman Miss Housekeeping because in the future? She no. might commit a crime. No, but here she might do porn in the right, future right. No. after the incident where you call her Miss Housekeeping. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. The, the, the trouble with this is there's no good guys in this right. soap opera. Yeah. No. There's nobody. I mean, no soap opera lasts when you don't have somebody that you're rooting for, somebody that you like. We're the best character in this is a Tony Soprano. Yeah, maybe. So you kind of after you kind of feel dirty after when you're like, I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely comfortable with rooting for Tony Soprano. Oh yeah, but it's fun. This eventually isn't fun, and you're just left with that dirty feeling of rooting for Tony Soprano. At some point, I mean, honestly, think of all of the people surrounding both Trump and Clinton. Do you have friends like those guys do? You know, yeah, oh, this, I want you to meet Sandy. He, uh, he went into the National Archives and was smuggling things out in his underpants, but he's cool. Um, oh, this is, you know, this is uh, Miss uh, Universe, and uh, Donald Trump was calling her Miss Piggy, and she assisted in a murder, um, but she's great. 
You don't have these kinds of friends on either side. Oh, this is, I want you to, I want you to meet my, uh, my new uh, CEO. He, uh, uh, he's a big fan of, uh, you know, the neo-Nazi movement. He's helping rebrand that whole thing right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, if there's anybody who needs rebranding, it's the neo-Nazis. <laughs> Skinheads they don't so. have a good PR firm. Right? <laughs> Holy, well, yes, they do. It's called Breitbart. <laughs> Chelsea opened the door That's for Trump to be able to show. respond next time, though, right? I mean, because she responded saying that, uh, oh, it's just a distraction from his inability to talk about what's actually at stake in this election. Well, so now Donald can say, oh, I, I'm fighting back. Okay, I'm punching n- back. We have won. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Regardless, whoever wins the White House, we are facing serious geopolitical and economic challenges that could lead to the next great financial crisis. You need a recognized safe haven asset for your portfolio and IRA, and that asset is gold. Call Goldline and add physical gold to your portfolio or IRA at 800-913-GOLD. Goldline, been helping people diversify their portfolio with gold for over 55 years. Rated A-plus by the BDP. Read Goldline's important risk information, but do it now, because crazy times are coming 800-913-GOLD 800-913-GOLD you're listening to the glenn beck program you said that you said that you know the trump campaign will try uh, to discredit you there, there are uh, reports that Trump surrogates uh, tonight have been referencing and pointing to on CNN and elsewhere about an incident in 1998 in Venezuela where you were accused of driving a getaway car from a murder scene. You were ah. never charged with this. Ah. The judge in the case also said you'd threatened to kill him after he indicted ah. your boyfriend for the attempted murder. murder. I just want to give you a chance to address these reports that the Trump surrogates are talking about. He can say whatever he wants to say. I don't care. You know, I have my past. Of course, everybody has. Everybody has a past. So, uh, and I'm not judges, uh, so. a saint. You're no saint? Girl. Girl? But that is not a point now. Mm. That mm-hmm. um, moment in Venezuela uh-huh. uh, was wrong. Wrong. Was another uh, speculation about my life because I'm a f- really famous uh, person Wait, in my stop. country. She denying she's, 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 she's essentially admitting it. No, he's uh, no, saying. I think it's the other way. It. She's saying that moment was wrong. There was a lot of speculation. It sounds like she's saying it was wrong of her to do that. I think she has a tenuous grasp on the English language. Yes. Uh, and okay. uh, I think there, well, that's clear. But she says, she says I, I, that moment was that was wrong, and there was a lot of speculation. She okay. I, mean, I thought she was saying that moment, like me driving the getaway car. Right, oh, right. Yeah, I, no. That's what I thought she was oh, saying. Oh, okay. I because I'm an actress there, uh-huh. and in Mexico too. And he can yeah, use and, whatever and he I've wants seen to those use. Videos. The Stop point it. is. That happened real, 20 years ago. She's admitting it. That happened. She's saying that happened 20 years ago. Something right. happened, and she was part so, of it. By the way, so is the th- reason you're on Anderson Cooper. That also happened 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. Uh, and it is a little bit less uh, important than uh, than a uh, murder, murder investigation. Yeah. Uh, but, so I mean, wait, wait, it- wait, wait, wait. So 
So she's accused of driving the getaway car for her boyfriend who murdered somebody mm-hmm. and, then, um, and then threatening the judge that I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an important thing to decide whether... I mean, it has nothing to do with Donald Trump calling her Miss Piggy. Miss, and, and, and Miss, and Miss Housekeeper. housekeeper Miss Housekeeper. Housekeeping is worse. Um, but isn't this just Maybe. a... Did, I don't know. Isn't this Hillary Clinton just using a play from Donald Trump's playbook? You can call Ted Cruz's dad the murderer of JFK. Everyone starts talking about it. You direct the conversation to that for a few days. And the fact at the end that you're completely wrong, what does that even matter? The point is she got 84 million people to hear him calling her a woman of Venezuelan descent Miss Housekeeping. The fact that she has issues later on, two and three days later, when they fact-check it on Anderson Cooper, is meaningless. I mean, this is the same tactic he's been using the entire campaign, and she's using it, too. That's where we are in 2016. We are as, uh, what's his name, Yapanopoulos, or whatever his name is. We are in a post-fact period. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So we're just talking about um, in, in a in a post fact era. How do you know what is true and how do you make judgments on anything? Can you believe, Stu, do you remember when I said there's going to come a day where you won't even believe your eyes? Do you think we're there? I meant it differently at the time. But I think we're there that you just don't even know it's true anymore. Yeah, it's interesting that it seems like a lot of people, at least the main players in, in this campaign, no longer are even attempting right. to reflect what might be true. Which destroys the desire to even search for the truth. Yeah. And, and that's probably the design, right? I mean, and that's probably what... Oh, yeah. If, you can, if, if nothing matters, then you control everything. Yeah, you brought up one of the Breitbart guys that said, uh, we live in a post-fact era. It's wonderful. Um, and is it wonderful? Just think, just think of that. Yeah. We live in a post-fact era. You want to talk about science deniers. <laughs> My problem with global warming is all of the facts are, are, are A, in dispute, and, or some of the facts are, and we don't, we, we don't even have a, a decent look at the facts of what the solution is. Right. The solution is perhaps much worse than the than the problem. Plenty of contradictory evidence. Yes, and so you try to use facts, but if we're living in a post-fact era, you have no chance of discovering the truth. It's who can be the best entertainer, or even worse, who can make you mad at the other side better than than they can. Who can get you angry more than anybody else? Because that's what it is. Who can get you to laugh or love them or hate somebody 
that they can conquer for you. Right. And it seems like so many people get up in the morning with this, you know, desperate search to find something that offends them or that makes them feel something in their life on social media. Uh, you know, and, and I guess this plays into it. I mean, this is this attitude of not caring about what's true and just what, you know, how can you move your cause forward even if it's not legitimate? Is, so you say that actually Donald Trump is getting the shaft, so to speak, on this Miss Galaxy or Miss well, there's, Universe. There's thing. two parts to it. And obviously, you know, I'm no Trump fan. But number one, people, you know, can Trump is obviously just a jerk, right? And so if he called her Miss Piggy, uh, which I believe he's denying, if he called her Miss Piggy, Does I, I anybody, totally believe it. Would he yeah, do. I mean, of course. I mean, it's very, if he didn't very, do it to her, he's done it to other people, and that's on record. Yeah, he's a, I mean, that's what he does. He gives people names, and then you, he makes you into that. And he initially did say that he just said those things. So, uh, but, you know, let's say, you know, he, he did. It's obviously offensive to call someone Miss Piggy. You know, he does have a legitimate complaint. I believe my understanding is that it was in her contract that she was not able to put on 50 pounds. Um, It's a it's a beauty contest. Uh, You know, she's going around and representing. It's it's a I don't I'm super sensitive to this, super sensitive to this because I have three girls. Yeah. And one and a and uh, and but she's still pretty young and um, a a wife um, who was. Uh, told by many people in her life when she was young, don't worry, um, you're pretty. You don't have to worry about thinking. <laughs> what? Um, and man, my my girls, um, you know, same kind of thing. And uh, one of my girls uh, struggled with her weight when she was in school. And I saw, nobody made fun of her, but I saw I would have to go clothes shopping with her. And I would take her clothes shopping, and um, we'd go find stuff that was cute. And what they never had her size, and she would always have to go to some, you know, mom store to buy her clothes. And it always it screwed with her. It screwed with her hard. And so there is something to be said about this culture where you are. Yeah. especially a beauty contestant where you're calling the Miss Piggy. The culture that affects the average person is, I think, different than this scenario. She yes. has a responsibility as being Miss Universe to look the same way she did at the, con- okay. at the contest. Do you remember when I was at, do you remember when I was at CNN? It's all possible. Do you remember when I was at CNN? Yes. Do you remember? And I was, I was 206 pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I am now 242. Wow, have I let myself go. I was eight pounds at birth. That's why you own the network. But anyway, that's exactly right. Do you remember when I was there and um, I was having a salad and I put blue cheese dressing on and one of the executives came up to me and he said, is that blue cheese? And I said, yeah. He said, oh, you better slow down on that one. (laughs) And and I put my, I was at the salad bar, I put my plate down and I looked at him and I said, are you telling me what to eat? And he said, I'm just saying you don't want to put on any weight. And I said, boy, I would hate to be a woman and work here. He didn't know what to say. However, that is a legitimate thing for a person in a visual medium to think of. It is. You wouldn't know that by watching this show, but Talk it's to yeah, no, I know. Alan dressing, though, that's the least of their worries. <laughs> <laughs> what we eat. Oh, I know. 
kidding me? Are you putting donuts on that salad? No, I'm trying to get the salad off the plate. (laughs) Did you notice the ice cream piled on the salad? (laughs) Hard for me to feel sorry for someone shopping in a different department as I always shopped in the, you know, the husky section. No, but there's a difference between girls, too. Girls, of course, but you have everything about our society when it comes to women. I can't believe I'm on here defending Trump on this. I know, but I'm with like he as a guy who owns the pageant. He's awarded, forget if it's weight or whatever it is, she has a responsibility, I believe it was in her contract, to remain to look similarly to when she was on stage winning the award. She's representing the the contest for a year. So for for him to go privately, let's, let's take this out of the Donald Trump Miss Piggy land. For him to go privately to her or someone from the organization and say, look, you know, I, you know, I understand we all struggle with these things, but, you know, we, this is a, it's a beauty contest and we need you to look as close to how you looked on stage as possible. I understand you can't be perfect. No one can. If he had done that, it's really Holy not God. a problem. Calling Miss Piggy is obviously he's just a jerk. Now, um, the Miss Housekeeping thing is, is part of a long series of these types of moments for him. Uh, laziness is a trade in blacks. I don't want black people counting my money. Uh, multiple law settlements of taking black people, uh, you know, uh, settlements with, uh, you know, being sued for uh, not renting to black people, to taking black people off casino floors. There's a long history, and part of that went, they went over in the debate. Uh, so that's, a, I think, a completely separate issue. But her credibility is at stake here when she comes out and says, well, I was, you know, uh, everything, all these things hurt her feelings so much. There's a clip here from 1997 that I think is important to play. Um, here's, in defense of Donald Trump. In defense of Donald Trump. Here he is. Hang on just a second. Just want to make note of this because no Trump, no Trump people. Do you think other shows that have the opposite point of view would be doing this for people who have my point of view. Who knew? Just want to point this out. Uh, here's a group of people who really think Donald Trump is a despicable guy. Showing you a bit of evidence that maybe he's not so bad on this one. Is that your point? I, I think, listen to the audio. I think it speaks pretty well for itself. Here is Trump speaking with reporters with uh, Alicia Machado sitting right next to him. At that workout center uh, segment, you know, the, the workout um, where the, he, she yes. invited the media. Uh, she invited or he invited? He, he, you know, the, yeah. Her accusation was that he invited the media. Right. It's that workout session, okay. and they're talking to reporters right then. I work out on occasion, as little as possible. I work out as much as Penny works out, which isn't much. No, I work out playing sports. I like sports, and this stuff is terrific, but I like golf, I like tennis. When do you want you come here with me I'll work out with her. I'll work out with her anytime she wants. Okay. Oh, my God. What is your advice to Alicia? Well, I don't think Alicia needs much advice. I will say that last year, before I owned the Miss Universe contest, I went to the Miss Universe contest last year. It was in Las Vegas. And I felt that Alicia was one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen. It was incredible. And all of the folks that were here agreed with that. Alicia is like me and like a lot of other people. I love to eat. We all love to eat. Not all of us. Some of you are lucky. But we eat. We like to eat. And she had tremendous pressure put on her with the win and everything else. Plus, she was going from country to country, all foreign places. And there was a huge amount of pressure. And some people, when they have pressure, don't eat. And some people, when they have pressure, eat too much, like me. 
but like Alicia. And what she's going to do now is she's got one of the great trainers of the world and a very, very famous man in his own right. The greatest And he's been working with her for the last few days. He's gold-plated. And I think she's going to show up at that contest uh, actually being probably a little bit heavier than when she won it. A little heavier. But you think that's actually better. When she won it, she weighed about 118 pounds. Too light for her. And actually, uh, well, from what I understand... No, this is totally reasonable. Okay, This is totally reasonable. That is a totally reasonable right. way to handle it. He's being, I mean, he's being self-deprecating, Yeah, uh, which is rare for, for, for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, he's saying that it's understandable. She went through a lot of pressure. She Agreed. wants to change. We've hired a trainer. The trainer says she should Agreed. actually have been heavier than the moment she won. I mean, you know... What he problem. did behind the scenes yeah. might have been something different, and and as obviously that's what she's accusing. The, the, him. the problem here is, is and it's rare. I mean, I have to give him credit. He may have actually believed that because he sounded like he did when usually he's saying these things. He doesn't sound like he's actually meaning it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first time I've actually heard him deal with something like an actual human being. Um, it's not what you do when everybody's watching. It's what you do when no one is watching or when you think no one is watching. That's when character counts. So him coming out and saying this in front of the press, well, of course, he wants the Miss Universe to be successful and he doesn't want to be yeah, I mean, known as the pig who, no. I was going to these beauty contests just to ogle. Understandable, but remember, one of her central parts of this complaint is that this particular incident disturbed her so much she, she went into a deep depression. Now, she's there playing along with us the entire time. Oh, I was don't. she acting in front of cameras? I think that's probably oh, true. You but, don't. I mean, but if I mean, you're she, young and impressionable and your life is the beauty pageant, I mean, how many women have wanted to be starlets? I mean, I could go, I could go back to Ellen. How many women wanted to be starlets who you know, wanted to be on a soap opera, wanted to be in a movie, did things and then just shut their mouth afterwards and just went along with it for a long time. I mean, let's look at the look at the woman who uh, what was it in Vanity Fair that came out twenty years. She said she was basically a sex slave at Fox. Did you read that story? Uh, yes. Okay. So I, I don't know. A, if is this a new one? Uh-oh. From a few weeks, come a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's pretty, and it's intense. Was <laughs> she chained in the basement? Or? No, she was, and and that's the point. Everybody's like, "Well, yeah. she could have stopped at any time." Not if you're in that fragile state and you are working with somebody who is good at manipulation. Yeah, I know. Mental abuse is just as bad as physical abuse, and and our society dismisses mental abuse. I grew up in a family of abuse. Mental abuse is just as deadly as physical abuse. Probably not just as deadly. Well, yeah, no, I mean, not, not deadly, deadly. But right, yes. but yes, no, it's very bad, and I'm not dismissing it. I mean, I think that if, if he was saying these things, which I, I believe he probably was, um, well, there's I mean, no doubt. I don't have evidence of it yes. other than every other piece of his behavior. <laughs> Uh, so I do believe that he did it, and, and I think you know there probably is a legitimate complaint here. But again, it, does, does Hillary Clinton even care? You think Hillary Clinton cares no. if this woman got verbal abuse? No. She doesn't care at all. She cares about no. votes. She cares about ga- ga- gathering a couple percentage higher of again, the Hispanic vote. That is the problem, that we don't even care about the facts because they don't care about the facts. They don't care about the facts. And all they're doing is juicing us up and in the end, they juice us up, and then we realize that none of that mattered, even to them. And then where are you left? You're just left in this 
angry mob. It's not healthy. Glenn Beck program. Triple eight seven two seven back. Mercury. Glenn Beck program. Every, everybody who's everybody who I like is working at this time of day. Yeah, you take my call. I mean, we were just talking about. On, but didn't know we were on. We were just talking about Ben Watson, uh, who is uh, with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, sitting at home. He tore an Achilles, um, and so he out for the season. Yeah, so he's he's got but nothing better to do. So he thought he'd call into our show today. <laughs> well, it was either that or watch Jeopardy. You know, right, Wheel of uh, Fortune, I think, might be on. I thought you said you didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Jeopardy is better. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't have to talk to anybody. You know, <laughs> you could talk to Alex, but he never talks back. Well, it's a repeat today. That's why he's calling in. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's still good. I still learned something. Uh, so Ben Watson is going to be on, and um, he's actually, um, I think, pretty good on the. Um, the uh, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Yes. Really smart guy. Really yes. good guy. Interested to hear his point. Very of view. spiritual guy. Yeah. So he'll be joining us here in just a second. And it is part three? Part two? What day? It's, I don't even know what day it is. It's Wednesday. Uh, so part, part two, two of our. No, it's got to be part three of our series on gun Thursday. control. It's Thursday. Is it Thursday today? Already? Holy cow. Oh, that's good. Okay, so good. Part three gun control. Next hour. <laughs> this is. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Hello, America. All this week, we've been exploring the history of gun control in America, and today we kind of pick up where the book Liars um, took us, how progressives will use uh, fear and tragedy to be able to exploit that uh, to get you to move into gun control. We have uh, part three of our four-part series on that coming up in about a half hour. But we want to start with Ben Watson. Uh, he plays for the Ravens. He just uh, tore his uh, Achilles. Uh, and he thought, I don't know, I wrote a book. Maybe I should talk to Glenn Beck. I got nothing else better to do. Talk to him about his new book, his injury, and race relations in America. We begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Ben Watson wrote a new book, Under Our Skin. In it, he writes, For so many people, the racial divide is an argument, a political position, a debate on TV, but keeping our distance isn't working. It's not an option anymore. This is about you and me. It's about our neighbors, our children, and the world. Um, that's what's on the back cover. 
I can't, there's a bunch of words in between. It, it, it sounds great. I haven't had a chance to read it. Ben Watson is here. Um, Tony Dungy says he is uh, one of the brightest guys he knows. Everybody I've talked to says the same thing about Ben Watson. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hello, Glenn. How are you doing, man? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, let's, let's just start. I want to talk about, you know, uh, what's been happening in your life and, and, uh, but, uh, but let's, let's get to the book and, and, and how we find our way to each other, um, on things like Black Lives Matter. You know, I, I was reading an article that you wrote not too long ago and you were talking about empathy and you, from a very honest position, talked about your initial reactions to Black Lives Matter, to different things that we see. I think a lot of people can relate to that, but you also, for a minute there, talked about how you let your guard down and you were able to, for an instant, you know, see where someone else was coming from, being open to someone else's experience, even if it isn't right. yours. And right. although you may not always agree, you can, you can say to them, you know, your, your experience is real, let me hear from you. Let me acknowledge the fact that what you're saying is, is truly going on. And I think that that's the start. That's how we kind of bridge the gap. And what we're seeing a lot of, whether it's the uh, the national anthem issue, whether it's, you know, you mentioned Black Lives Matter, whether it's police, excessive use of force, um, the list goes on and on and on. And you see us go into our separate corners yes. and point fingers and call each other awful names and not really be concerned about, um, opening our hearts, opening our minds to hearing what someone else has to say, even if even if it's not really your experience, or even if you don't even think that it's real. Uh, we're not having that honest dialogue, and I'm hoping that we can have that so that we can bridge the gap and find solutions. And Ben, ben you seem to exhibit those same qualities, because I, I was just rereading your Facebook post from uh, a while ago, after the uh, Ferguson incident, and you had you had the same introspection. You were uh, you you were confused, as some are, about um, you know. First of all, there's a lot of people who just jump to conclusions. There's a lot of people who don't listen to facts. There's a lot of people who don't care about facts. There's a lot of people who don't listen to the other side. And you seem to be willing to do that as well. And and how do we get more people on board to do that? Well, I think we all have a sphere of influence. And I said um, that the, the dining room table is, is as important as the courtroom when it comes to racial mm-hmm. reconciliation, when it comes to racial race relations. Um, we all have children that we teach. They watch everything that we do. They watch how we respond when different things happen on television, when we see uh, something happen on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, and they see our reaction, they hear what we say. They're forming their ideas about race and what that means by what yeah. we as parents are teaching them. Also, we have coworkers that tell jokes, that talk about things in a certain way. Are we willing to stand up for that? I mean, <clears throat> each of us has a certain amount of people that we can influence, and I think it's incumbent upon all of us to see where we, find, where we fall in this whole dialogue and this whole narrative. Um, a lot of times we want to point to a politician and say that they need to be the one to change things, or we want to point to some big government entity um and what i'm saying is that we all need a change of heart and we need to look introspectively you know you mentioned what i wrote in the in the post and you know being honest about my anger and my frustration but also my 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 introspection and my sadness and my embarrassment when it comes mm-hmm. to all of these things yeah. so ben uh, here's the here's the problem um that i i haven't figured out how we can get around um there's a lot of if you will, righteous anger, 
right now. People have real reason to be angry about a lot of different things all across the spectrum. Things have broken down and they're not working, and and we haven't addressed issues. It's like, a, you know, if you're um, if if you are in a marriage that is going south, you can't just say, okay, let's start fresh. No, you have yeah. to listen to each other first and get it all out and yeah. be able to say, okay, I hear you, I understand you, I may not agree with you, but I understand you. So now let's move forward. We're not doing that. And and here's what I'd like your advice on. I got a lot of heat, a lot of heat for um, my New York Times editorial. Um, uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, good. Hey, heat, heat uh, means that you're in a kid. I know. Uh, so I got a lot of heat for that. And it's not that I had a change of position on the leadership of, or I should say on the the um, the stated goals of Black Lives Matter, they are stated uh, that they are anti-capitalist, anti-American. Uh, you know, they want a separate state for African-Americans. I think this is insane. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the average person who is walking in the streets wants or what yeah. they're feeling. How do we get past our own people? Because, you know, me saying I want to sit down with Black Lives Matter people, they're all thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to sit with that guy. And then I got to get through them, but I got to get through my own people, too, to say, no, it's okay to listen to one another. Yeah. Well, well, I think Black Lives Matter is a convenient excuse not to talk about things. And so you have this organization, Black Lives Matter. And for a while, I was like, what is what exactly do, does Black Lives Matter represent and believe? So I went on their website, and I looked at a lot of things, like I'm sure you did, did some research yeah. and said, you know what, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that. I do like this, but I don't agree with this, right? And so the movement you know, starts, and a lot of people simply think it's just about police excessive force, but yes. there are other things that are involved. And you have a lot of folks who are saying they're part of the movement, who, who are holding banners, saying they're part of the movement and burning things and, and doing things that are illegal, and they may not even be. But we look at them and say, well, that represents all black people, but it doesn't. It doesn't. And so what I'm saying is there are extremes on each side. You have white supremacists who hate black people, and there's nothing that's ever going to change for them. They think we are animals. And, and you can tell because you see it on social media. Then you have some people who say the white man is the devil, and I never want to hear anything from him. And you have some of us in the middle, and we're the ones that need to look at our interpersonal relationships, whether they be at church or at school or at work or on teams or wherever they may be, and be willing to be honest with each other and allow us to talk about it without being labeled bigots mm-hmm. and racist and to be able to grow and hear experiences. So, so there's some people you're not gonna you're not going to reach, and you know that. <laughs> But let's not worry about those, and let's yeah. not use those as an excuse for us in the middle not so, to really try to effect positive change and let our guard down and, and be real with each other. I mean, how do you, you, you mentioned the fact that you have, to, you have to address these things in order to get over it. And it does no one any good to simply say, you know, racism is gone. It's, it, 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 was, it was a long time ago. That, that's not true, obviously. Um, how do you feel about... Um athletes that are kneeling down i mean i am all for you got to do what you believe and mm-hmm. uh there is nothing more patriotic or not i should say that there's nothing more american 
than yeah. uh, standing up for what you believe and and protesting even the government. Um, yeah. That's what we were founded on. Um, but how do you feel about these um, about these guys? Well, I, I agree with you on that. That America was founded on on protest. <laughs> right. America started with people overthrowing or or shaking their fists. Um, at the government, and not because they didn't care about the country, but because they wanted it to be something better. Yeah. And so I said from the beginning that if I was able to play, obviously I can't right now, I would, I would be standing for the national anthem. And it's not because I don't agree with the reason of the guys that are kneeling. I agree with them, and even more so um, because of my life experience and because of what I know happens in this country. Um, but I think the default position for any American is to be able to stand for the national anthem. Now, if there's a time, which there is right now, where men are wanting to draw attention to certain issues, I'm all for them doing that, and I think that they're well within their rights. Um, I don't think we should be telling them to leave the country or that they should take bullets in their head. You know, that is that is ridiculous because, as you mentioned, uh, that is part of what makes our country great and what pushes us to address right. certain issues. The problem so is me- when people simply look at the protester and not really the reason why they're protesting. Tell me, um, tell me is the, probably the whitest white man you've ever met in your life. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I practically wear, you know, polka dot clothes like a loaf of Wonder Bread. Um, I've seen uh, you. I've seen pictures. <laughs> All right. Okay. Heck off. It's my show. Um, so, Ben, explain to me, you just said, you know, with my life experiences, I agree with them and maybe more. Explain to me as a as a whitey white guy what I should be hearing. Well, you should you should first be willing to hear. And I, am. And I, th- I think that's the first step is that many aren't, aren't, aren't even willing to 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 hear. Um, you, you should be hearing. um the, the personal experiences, but also the collective experience of many black people in this country. And what we also need to understand is that I'm not condemning you as an individual whitest of white guys as being a racist simply because the country we live in has an inherent bias against people of color. Um, and, and this has been proven over and over again, even when we talk about the example with the kids picking out the, the good doll and the bad doll. Yes. And when they point to, and this is, this is even what black kids too. We, we, we all are affected by this simply because of the history of our country mm-hmm. is that, you know, the, the darker skin is kind of less desirable. And I'm not saying that that's a personal thing from you. What I'm saying is that we all kind of operate under this, under this bias. And what I see, what I see from a lot of white people that I know, because I know a lot of whitest of the white people, <laughs> they're, my, they're some of my best friends. Is that, immedi- is that is that immediately when when that subject is brought up, they get defensive, which which I totally understand because if I was in their, their shoes, I probably would too, um, and think that that I'm saying that it's your fault and that you're racist and that and that I I, I blame I blame you for everything, and that's not what I'm saying at all. So I'm so, simply being honest about the, the situation, and and the, and the truth of the matter is, Glenn, is that when you look through civil rights, um, you look through, um, you know, the 80s, 90s, whatever it is, you look all the way to emancipation. It has been it has been white people who have 
being the majority culture who has helped this thing go along. And so it's not a us against you guys or anything like that. It's a we. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the most important thing to remember. It's connecting with your humanity and seeing uh, seeing the human in all of us. Yeah. And, um, okay, I want to take a quick break. Um, talking to uh, Ben Watson, uh, do you prefer, by the way, your books, everybody calls you Ben, but your books are Benjamin Watson. Is that, is that your nom de plume? Or? <laughs> well, I prefer Benjamin. I'm not a fan of okay. Ben. It usually gets right. shortened to Ben because, you know, Ben is much easier to say, but I, I prefer Benjamin. Okay, Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin <laughs> Watson, uh, he, he has written the book Under Our Skin, Getting Real About Race. We'll continue here in just a second. Uh, and our serial uh, on gun control is coming up at the bottom of the hour. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Benjamin Watson, Under Our Skin, is his new book. He's uh, NFL Baltimore Ravens tight end. Uh, get into his injury here in a second if we have some time. Pat? Pat? Yeah, Benjamin, I, I'm, I've seen some really strong stands that um, you take on same-sex marriage and uh, also Planned Parenthood. That you've said that the, their their goal is to exterminate blacks, which is true. That's how they were. That's why they were set up by by Margaret Sanger. Do you, do you get a lot of uh, pushback from fellow athletes? Uh, no, not from pro athletes. Um, <clears throat> amazingly, um, I, I think that a lot of times athletes are are kind of in a position where uh, others think they shouldn't weigh in on certain social topics. Um, overwhelmingly, I would say I've, I've had really good support from, from many of my teammates and you know, guys that I've played with. Uh, we we want to be able to express our views. You know, we're part of this country, too. We pay taxes and we vote and all those things. And so um, it's important for us to be able to talk about these things. I have received a little bit of pushback from other people, but, you know, the great thing is that people are entitled to their, to their opinions. But I would say overwhelmingly I've had a lot of support. You were um, – um... Your your dad's a pastor? Yes, sir. Yeah, my dad's a pastor in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. How hard is it to keep your faith in the world that you live in? Uh, well, Glenn, I would say that we all, um, in whatever world we're in, whatever our um, occupation is, um, we all uh, have have a path to walk, and we all have struggles. Um, you know, being in the NFL, obviously there are some u- unique challenges in the NFL, but what I found and what Scripture tells us is that your faith is not something on the side. It's not something that you carry with you. It is inherently who you are. Um, when you pass from death into life, you become a new person. And so everything you do flows from that. Um, when you go to work, you are a Christian at your workplace. You're not, you're not a, a broadcaster who happens to be Christian. You're a Christian right. who does broadcasting and rights and those sorts of things. The same for me as an athlete. And so um, everything I do, you know, that that's just, who I am, and so um, whatever the, the the trials are and the and the temptations in any job um, is not anything that um, that is not uncommon. We all face certain things. 
You know, I feel like we're living in the world um, where we're choosing between Jesus and Barabbas. And obviously, I'm not, <laughs> assigning, I'm not assigning anybody Jesus nor Barabbas role, but yeah. the crowd is cheering for the, um, uh, the anarchist and the guy who was going to light the world on fire. And the guy who's saying love one another is not being listened to. In fact, he's going to be crucified. How do we get past this rage and the mob mentality of screaming for Barabbas because it makes us feel good? Well, it, it makes sense. Um, when you look through our history, you know, even uh, I've been reading in the book of Acts, and it talks about how persecution spread the gospel. And so the, there's a wide road and a narrow road. And when we live in the world, we can't be surprised when the world acts like, like the world. Um, and we also can't be surprised when those who are believers act like believers, but we also understand that we are in um, a world who is going contrary or going against what um, the Word of God says. And that's normal, and that's what we should expect. However, we, we know how the outcome happens. We know who triumphs in the end, um, and we're called to live and to love other people. Even if they don't agree with us, we're called to love other people. We're called to respect other people. Um, we're called to be a light to the world. Benjamin Watson, the name of the book is Under Our Skin. Uh, Benjamin, I hope we talk again soon. Our serial on gun control is next. The Glenn Beck Program. back. This is the Glenn Beck Program. What's a barrel shroud and why should we regulate? I actually don't know what a barrel oh, shroud okay. is. Because it's in your it's legislation. It's a thing that goes up. No. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. For most purposes, having these, 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 um, these magazine um, uh, clips that have that have more than 15 rounds in them, there's really no purpose for those except for shooting targets or shooting people. Pistols are different. You have to pull the trigger each time. An assault weapon, you basically hold it, goes... You might think that politicians would at least learn enough about guns to know what they're talking about when they speak out vehemently against them. But they don't. In this series, we have focused on America's founding fathers' intent for gun ownership, which they made crystal clear in the Second Amendment. We've also delved into the gun bans around the world and discovered how absolutely ineffective they've been. Sadly, here in the United States, progressives use every single mass shooting as another opportunity to infringe on American citizens' right to bear arms. This has all been seen before, as it was seen in Australia and the UK. Former California state legislator Tim Donnelly explains the progressive agenda since the tragedy at Sandy Hook. 
There's not a single law that was proposed across the entire United States that would have prevented that tragedy. In fact, that kid tried to buy the weapon at a gun store and wouldn't take the background check, and therefore he was denied the right to legally purchase a firearm. Progressives know full well that what they propose wouldn't have stopped any of the mass shootings that have taken place. But their typical refrain is this. We have got to do something about gun violence in America. We have to do something, right? Not the right thing, just something. We have to do something, something that will make us all feel good, even if it results in Americans losing a God-given, enshrined right. But it's not just about doing something. Often, progressives flat out lie. We know that states with the most gun laws tend to have the fewest gun deaths. So the notion that gun laws don't work or just will make it harder for law-abiding citizens and criminals will still get their guns, it's not borne out by the evidence. Barack Obama knows that what he's saying is simply not true. But he was very careful to spin that statement to make it about states when he knows full well that cities like Chicago and Washington, D.C., have the toughest gun laws in the nation. They also have two of the highest rates of gun murders in the nation for large cities, whereas Illinois has a gun murder rate of 2.8 per 100,000. But Chicago is right at 16, five times the rate of Illinois. Maryland's is 5.1. Virginia's is 3.1. But Washington, D.C., 16.5. Overall, Louisiana's rate is fairly high, 7.7, but considering the progressive run and controlled New Orleans rate is 19, that just might have something to do with the overall rate for Louisiana as a whole. Another progressive, Senator Dianne Feinstein, was caught in another lie in an interview about her gun control legislation on PBS. What do you say to people who support the the right to own arms that this is the camel's nose under the tent, and the next thing you'll be after concealed carry weapons. You'll be after other kinds of uh, gun rights. Well, that's just not true. It wasn't true with the prior bill that was the law for 10 years. And I just think, candidly, uh, that dog doesn't hunt. Why shouldn't it be true? Why wouldn't you want to go after those other laws? Because that's not what I've done in the past, and it's not what I'm doing right now. It's not what she's done in the past, and it's not what she's doing right now? Here's what she said in the past. If I could have gotten 51 votes in the Senate of the United States for an outright ban, picking up every one of them, Mr. and Mrs. America, turn them all in, I would have done it. I could not do that. The votes weren't here. Even though progressives have been unsuccessful so far at overturning the Second Amendment, they have made inroads, like gun-free zones, where guns are supposedly not allowed. Recently, a local news anchor spoke with a district court judge who, as a U.S. attorney, helped create gun-free zones. It has saved countless lives in the past 20 years. I think Mr. Stockman's intents are good. He can amend the law and allow certain individuals to carry guns on school zones. That is a much easier easier. Um, proposal than eliminating the law. Have gun-free zones saved countless lives? Because to many, it would seem that most, 
if not all of these mass shooting events have taken place at so-called gun-free zones. Schools, the post office, malls. A fact check news segment with Ben Swan called Reality Check actually looked into the facts and claims by left-wing publication Media Matters. The debate over gun-free zones is a heated one. Conservative media, after a shooting like the one at the Umqua Community College in Oregon, immediately begin to say that we need to consider gun-free zones as part of the problem. Media on the left fires back that those claims are simply untrue. Take, for instance, an article published by Media Matters for America. It states this, quote... Despite claims about gun-free zones, the overwhelming majority of mass shootings actually occur where guns are allowed to be carried. So where are the numbers to back that statement up? Well, it actually comes from a report from a group called Every Town for Gun Safety. That report was published last year. It states that only 14% of mass public shootings take place in gun-free zones, only 14%. Every town claims that 86% of such incidents occurred in places where guns are allowed. The only problem with that analysis is that according to the Crime Prevention Research Center, the every town analysis is wrong. Interesting. Is it possible that an anti-gun crusader, Michael Bloomberg's every town group, had an agenda? And may have been somewhat dishonest in gathering its figures? Yes. It does appear possible. See, every town's recent analysis of mass shootings is riddled with errors. Mistakes are made on a number of mass shootings, as well as the extent of mental illness, the killer's ages, and even where the attacks occurred. So what are the correct numbers? Well, in order to get them, Crime Prevention Research Center looked at mass public shootings since the beginning of 2009. They focused on attacks that have particularly terrified Americans, the mass shootings that take place in public places. These are shootings about which they say the point of such crimes is to kill as many people as possible and create as much carnage as possible in order to obtain media attention. Also, they focused exclusively on shootings, excluding such attacks as the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. They also exclude gang violence and turf wars, again focusing only on mass shootings designed to create terror. In those cases, what did they find? Well, from January of 2009 through the middle of July of 2014, there were 25 mass public shootings where at least four people were killed with a gun. Of those shootings, 8% of mass public shootings have occurred in places where civilians are allowed to defend themselves. But the other 92% happened in a so-called gun-free zone. If you don't believe the numbers... Maybe the shooters themselves will convince you. Aside from those statistics, consider what some of these mass shooters themselves have said. Elliot Roger, who shot to death three people in Santa Barbara, explained why he picked his target. In his 141-page manifesto, he said that he chose to skip at least one location for the shooting because he worried that someone with a gun, specifically armed police, might stop him before he could kill enough people. Or James Holmes, the killer at the Colorado movie theater. He lived within a 20-minute drive of seven movie theaters that were showing the premiere of the Batman movie. But he chose the one single theater that banned guns. And possibly the most shocking example to people, the Fort Hood shooting in 2009, where 13 people were killed, 30 others were wounded. Or the D.C. Naval Yard shooting where 12 people were killed and 8 wounded. Or even the Navy Recruiting Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee earlier this year, where 4 Marines were killed. All three military installations that are gun-free zones, with the exception of military police who are allowed to be armed. 
What we do know is progressives will continue to make an illogical and emotional case. It is so important when we lose 90 people a day, 33,000 Americans every year. And when you have met as many victims of gun violence as I have, when you've sat there and you've listened to their stories about losing a child, losing a husband, losing a parent. And I've met with the mothers um, who have lost children to gun violence by police hands, by, you know, more likely gun and gang uh, deadly combination. I've just met so many people from Columbine to Sandy Hook. I just can't remain silent. And I think we are at a turning point. And what I said to the man here is, you know, there needs to be a rival organization to the NRA of responsible gun owners who know that their hunting rights Moms are demand action. Rights. They're collecting rights. All of that is not going to be affected. So I'm going to keep beating the drum. But the problem will never be solved until they stop blaming the guns and start concentrating on the people pulling the triggers. How have they gotten to that stage? What contributed to it? Broken families? Drugs? Mental illness? In the final segment of this series, we'll focus on where we are today. How can we protect this constitutional right to defend ourselves while protecting our families and our nation? Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, Final segment um, tomorrow. I just want to tell you about our sponsor this half hour, which is uh, Goldline. Um, Deutsche Bank um, is... um, is it appears to be going down. Um, this is going to be um, not good, not good. This could be the uh, the next. Um, uh, I want to say Merrill Lynch, but it wasn't. What was the one that went down uh, in two thousand eight? Because he Enron, right? Uh, Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers. Are you thinking? I'm saying this might be the next Lehman Brothers mm-hmm. uh, that could uh, lead us down a really uh, dark place. I don't know if anybody saw Yellen yesterday. But Janet Yellen was talking about um, would she was testifying? Would the Federal Reserve rule out buying stocks? She said, "No, Boy. it's not on the table now. But wow. in an extreme circumstance, we may go and buy stocks. They can't rule out anything right now, right? Because they know they're done. Anything they're just throwing. Oh, they're stuff done up on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, 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 there are no more bullets left in this gun." No more bullets left in this gun. Here's the thing. We survive this. So it's just getting to the other side. How do you get to the other side for the reset? We survive this. And what, is, and what does what the other side look, look like? like? Right. right. It's not going to look like this. It's not going to be. You're not going to be walking around with a dollar in your pocket. It's just not going to look like this. And what does it, what does it mean you know, when the when Deutsche says, well, we we say that no bailout is coming. OK, well, here in the United States, they won't rule out. There's no bailout coming, but bail ins are coming. And the Fed is not ruling out buying stocks themselves. What do we look like on the other side? The world always goes to the gold standard. I mean, it's called this for a reason, because for 5000 years, that has been what has backed money. We've gone from sand dollars to, uh, uh, to shells to tulip bulbs back in the 1500s. Gold is the only one that is always the standard. 
do your own homework. The biggest bubble in history is about to pop. I don't know what to do, but I will tell you, historically speaking, you will find when you do your own homework, gold is something that you should consider, and it's not outrageous to think 10% of what you have. Put it away and diversify. Spread your risk out as much as you can. I'm not a financial advisor, obviously, but you're smart enough to do your own homework. Read their important risk information and, uh, and, and, and read history. Call Goldline, 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Mercury. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. You know, it's a weird, it's a really weird thing um, how disconnected uh, the world is from reality. I don't know. um, I was, I'm reading about how um, Europe is falling apart and yet how exotic cars sales in Europe through the roof. So, like, the, the rich are getting richer, much, much richer. Um, but then... And, and it's, Income inequality! No, it's just... It's insane, though. They're going to get hurt, Income inequality! Too. They're going to get hurt by what's coming as well. Yeah. Oh, well, of course. Everybody is. Just nobody believes it's coming. It's the 1920s. And you say nobody believes it's coming? I read a story this morning coming in on the... Hollywood executives and Hollywood stars, two stories on Academy Award winners who have done $10 million renovations to their homes, and they have dug a fortress underneath their home, and the walls are, you know, four feet thick. Nobody's getting in. Some of them have escape, escape routes, four different escape routes to get you These off. These are the, the emergency, like the panic rooms or panic the... Panic rooms, but they're six to 10,000 square feet panic rooms. I mean, you can't have Yeah, I, I was reading about that a couple of weeks ago, and they, some of them are nicer than, you know, oh, oh, my gosh. 99% of people's homes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm thinking is. Which I don't care if they want to do that, but they don't, they don't admit there's anything coming, right. and you're crazy, man, for telling people to buy food. Amen. Amen. It's, it's nuts. It's crazy. It's nuts. Shouldn't somebody, when they're reporting on that, they're reporting on this, like, lifestyles of the rich and famous, shouldn't. Someone in the media be saying, hey, here's what the rich are doing. What do they know that maybe you're being told to dismiss? Yeah. You know, maybe they're wrong. I mean, people had, you know, 20% of people, I think, had fallout shelters being built in 1960. But damn close to being vaporized from Cuba in uh, in the early 60s. Somebody... NFC Offensive Player of the Week, Carson Wentz, Philadelphia Eagles. NFL Rookie of the Month, Carson Wentz, Philadelphia Eagles. NFL Defensive Player of the Month, Fletcher Cox, Philadelphia Eagles. Enjoy it while you can. Yes, that's kind of where I am right now. But hey, 
If you want winners, you obviously, when you're going to FanDuel and you're picking your team this week, you might want to think about the Eagles' defense, which has been completely dominating. You might, well, not this week because they're on a bye. Uh, but Carson Wentz, that's uh, another good pickup. I mean, he's played great so far. This is the great thing about, uh, you might have thought, dismissed Carson Wentz as coming out of, you know, F- FCS and he's not going to play well. Well, you can make that decision. You don't have to worry about it. You can make the decision week by week with FanDuel and you can win real money. Try FanDuel now. Get up to $50 in free entries. New users who deposit will get five free entries to NFL 50-50 beginner contest valued at up to 50 bucks. Just finish in the top half of the league and you win real money. You'll get one free entry a week for five weeks. Do it. Go to FanDuel.com, click, click the Join Now button, and use my code Stu. FanDuel.com, promo code Stu. Void where prohibited. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn has a new book out called The Book of Mysteries. Uh, I read his book, The Harbinger. Uh, a few years back. I don't know if it's true or not, but it sure rang true to me. Um, And uh, I believe in the covenant that we made as a country. And I also believe that if that is true, that there would be warning signs along the way. Hey, remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. I can't, I can't, I can't keep protecting you. Uh, And he's got a new book out uh, now that uh, the book of mysteries that uh, covers some of that. We're also going to talk about the Harbinger, and he said there's a new sign out on the Harbinger. Oh, boy. So we'll, I know, oh boy. we'll get into that. We're also two days away before we lose the internet uh, Internet to the uh, international community. China and Russia going to be instrumental in keeping us free and alive on the internet. That always uh, feels really, really good. And so much more that just doesn't make sense. We begin right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Jonathan Kahn is, um, is joining us now. Uh, he has written The uh, Harbinger, The Mystery of the Shemitah, and now The Book of Mysteries. Um, and he's a good friend of the uh, program. He has addressed Congress, uh, the United Nations. Um, he um, is... Um, a guy who uh, I, I don't I don't I don't know how to describe it. You have a lot of the same thoughts that I have, except you have the knowledge to I think kind of back some of these up um, scripturally. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into what's in the new book and mm-hmm. and that particular yeah. topic, tell me what's happened uh, since we last saw each other. Yeah, for those who don't know, and we've talked about this, Glenn. The harbinger, in a nutshell, is saying that what happened in the last days of Israel, the warnings that were given, are now appearing in America. And there are nine specific harbingers. And as the nation fell away from God, the warnings came. Well, they've come here, and that's what the harbinger says. But one thing I didn't go into as much, and that is that when Israel was falling away from God, they went to another God. You don't fall away from God without going to another God. So they went to the God Baal, Baal, Baal. Baal was the god of sexual immorality. He was the god where they offered their children as sacrifices. He was the god 
of their basically calling evil good, good evil. He's the epitome of when you go away from God. And he was also the God of weather and the environment and the God of war and finance. That is right. I mean, it's right. That's right. They said, and they said, you know, he's going to give us prosperity. We're going to go with Baal. Well, so the thing is, when, when the harbingers came, behind all the harbingers is they're worshiping Baal. So that's a, he's the god of the harbingers in a sense of when judgment comes. Well, America, now, we are watching it race away from God. So could it be, we, we never admit that we're worshiping any other god. We never admit that we have idols. But, of course, we do. Could the sign of Baal appear on American soil? Well, the, 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 here's the thing, Glenn. One week ago, the sign of Baal appeared in America. It appeared in New York City. I was there. I went there to see it. They unveiled it. And what they did is, in New York City, for the first time in history, I mean, this is, this is, this is the God of identifying a nation like Israel that turned away from God, is here now. They, they put up, they erected the arch that led to the Temple of Baal. And so this is the this is where the worshippers went there. They went, and so this is the sign, the sign of Baal. This is his arch. You know, it's a sign of a nation that has once known God turning away, a nation that offers up its children. Which, and we, you know, we don't. Of course, we don't do that. Except we have sixty million children in in New York City. Not only the city of the harbingers, but the city of where abortion began was this capital of 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 abortion. Um, the city of uh, the sign of a nation calling evil good and good evil. And the other the other thing about it. So it's stand. I mean, it's I in Times Square, is it not? It's it's in. And what's it there for? It's in well, it's in city. It's the city hall park. It actually, it's right. Okay. It's right near Ground Zero. Actually, oh, wow. you talk wow. about the harbingers, and there's a the whole thing. I mean, that, they're not saying it's the. They're not. No, no, no. They would never would. But jail, you know, if right? you look, when you. Oh, you know that. No, they're saying that it is from that temple, but yes. they're saying it's the gate that was built later. But it does lead to the temple. I mean, there, there's so why enough, did they put it there, though? They put well, it there. Well, an, at, go ahead. Yeah, well, actually, this goes to the harbinger, too. Because remember in the harbinger, there is a destruction. And the people say, we'll rebuild stronger, greater. Well, it's about rebuilding. Well, this was destroyed. And so they're rebuilding. They're saying, we will rebuild. Um, and it was destroyed in, in the harbinger. They're, they're rebuilding what the Assyrians destroyed, if you remember. Well, this was destroyed. The Temple of Baal was destroyed by ISIS. ISIS are the incarnation of the Assyrians. Literally, they are. They have the blood of the Assyrians. So we're actually now rebuilding what the Assyrians destroyed. We're saying, and they they said I was oh there. You know, they, they didn't they didn't have a a sound system. But uh, what the lady said when she spoke, she said, oh. "We're doing this as an act of defiance. This is the har- this is the harbinger. So this is exactly what happened. Now we've actually not only erected this link to Baal on New York City. We're saying." We're, we're rebuilding what the Assyrians destroyed. We're doing exactly what happened in the last days of Israel. So talk about a talk about a sign. Talk about a harbinger. At the same time, that America's racing remember, away from God. I remember we're, talking about this, yeah, and, yeah, and, and then they were we were told, "No, that's not happening." They yeah, said, they, "We're not going to do it." They're not going right. to do it. So there was an they weren't going to do it, and they yeah. went ahead and did it. There was an uproar. They didn't do it, and then this happened. They almost didn't even announce it. It was almost. I mean, it was wow, only a few people there. We, we saw it. So yeah. So it, it happens no matter what. Not that they know what they're doing. Yeah, that's the thing that people people don't understand. At least when I talked about this originally, I'm not saying that they know what they're no. doing, that they're, that, that they're evil or, mm-hmm. or anything else. They have no idea. No. Um, but but it, 
it is another yes. step and another mm. sign. Yeah, Glenn, if you remember, with every, if you look at every mm. single harbinger, I mean, the, Tom Daschle pronouncing yes. Isaiah 19, they don't know the what they're doing. tree that they, Bush planted. Tree, they don't know what they're doing. They're not planning this, and that makes it even more kind of ominous. But they're doing it because it has to manifest. And the, the other thing, when I was here last time with you, we played a little clip, but when, a year and a half ago I, was when I spoke in, on Capitol Hill. Yeah. And it was the day that the Supreme Court was hearing the case on marriage, or the day after. And what I said was, let to say was, America's standing between God and Baal. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so choose you this day. Elijah said, choose you this day. Either follow God if he's the Lord or follow Baal and go to hell. But I didn't expect thou we have now erected to Baal, literally, literally. It, I wrote the Eye of Moloch. Moloch is another yes. name for Baal or kind of the same. Linked together. Linked together. together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote that um, because... I realized, this is probably six, seven, eight years ago, I realized, my gosh, we don't even know we're repeating the pattern. This is before the Shemitah, or the, uh, the Harbinger came out. We don't even know we're repeating this pattern, but if you look just at the pattern and you disconnect yourself from, from um, the idea that somebody is orchestrating all this, yes. don't think that. Just yes. look at human patterns. We're repeating the pattern. Yes. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about... Um, I've been thinking about Jeremiah an awful lot. And Jeremiah keeps going back to the king. And he's telling the king, look, what I find fascinating, because I think this is another pattern. He goes to the king and says, look, you're going to be humbled because it's it's over, okay? You're going to be humbled. Go and offer yourselves now. Just go and surrender right now. And... Just go into captivity and become their slave, and it it will be better for you now. Um, instead, no, no, we're going to we're going to beat this. We're going to beat this, and then they're slaughtered and then taken into captivity, and you know the rest of the story. I think we're repeating this now because I think the message is, America, let go, mm. let go of. You're trying to say, and I know this sounds crazy, mm. but let go of trying to keep your lifestyle, trying to, mm-hmm. you know, be the big dog, trying to beat your chest, all of this stuff. Let it go. Trust me, it will be better for you now mm-hmm. if you just don't cry out for a king. Yes. Do you think there's anything to that? There, there is because, you know, and this goes back to that because what was happening when both, na- both Southern Kingdom Israel and Jeremiah, Northern, um, it's actually it was the Southern Kingdom, were destroyed, was they were saying we're going we're gonna to do it on our own and we're going to come back stronger and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight this by our own resources and we're going to be great again. You know, well, the thing is that's fine to be great again, but that's fine, but not without God. You know, if you don't humble yourself. So Jeremiah is saying humble yourself Come back. If you don't return to the God who made you great, you're not going to be great again. America was made great by God, and you're not going to have greatness without returning to that. So, yeah, I feel in, very, in a lot of ways it is the time of Jeremiah. In a lot of ways it can, is that. But can you, can you be, can you, could this nation return to God without returning to uh, the God of manifest destiny? We have to return to the humble worship of God not jamming it down people's throats. Religion, a lot of times, we get a bad rap because a lot of times it is you go to hell, 
-hmm. you're an evil sinner and you have to be stopped because you're the problem Mm -hmm. unless you understand religion my way. Where the founders were, look, we're all going to sit under the vine and the fig Mm -hmm. and um, we have to worship God and be good and follow his commandments, but we're not going to jam it down everybody's throat. Well, and it was flipped to ugliness. Yeah, if you look at Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. He was not a proud person. He's weeping, you know. And that, that is also one of the signs. That in the last days of Israel, they were treating Jeremiah as an enemy. They, were, they put him in prison, Glenn. When, when, the, when the judgment came, he was in prison. So yeah. another sign is when you, when you start persecuting the righteous. So, but the righteous have to be humble. And, you know, and you have absolutely, so was Jeremiah. But we're also living in those days, too. We're seeing the beginning of persecution at the same time. I know. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I was thinking about this the other day, that having a firm reliance in the protection of divine providence means that you're willing to lose your house, your nation, your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you're even, you, because you know that whatever it is you're supposed to do, as long as you're in lockstep following him, mm-hmm. you will be able to accomplish that. And I yes. thought, look at how many people, even Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela hadn't even been seen mm-hmm. or heard yes. in in a decade, and yet he has his transformation, his humbling, mm-hmm. and he changes South America and changes the world. He changes the world from a prison cell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's something to let it all go, not your way. You know, it's yeah. not going to happen your way. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is what Jesus said. He said, he who loses his life will find it. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And it goes back to George Washington when he gave the warning. Listen, it's not about being great. He said, if you, if you follow God, God's going to bless you. Don't seek the blessings. Seek God. If you turn away from God, America, the blessings of God are going to be removed. Can you explain, because I don't think people understand covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain why the covenant that George Washington made in this country matters. It's not a promise and it's not something that other countries have done. It's just Mm -hmm. us and Israel. Mm -hmm. Explain a covenant for people who don't understand really what that means. Well, with Israel, God said, I'm making the covenant with you and we are one and we are, you know, there's there's terms to the covenant too. If you follow, you're blessed. If you don't, not so. I will. And so, America was founded, but, but the, even goes back to the Puritans. They said, we are, in, we are in covenant, meaning not saying it's the same as God, but we said we will make a covenant with God, that we'll follow him, we'll glorify him. And if we do this, this goes back to Winthrop, then, to Wash, then, then onward. If we follow him, we'll be the most blessed people on earth. Well, that's happened. It happened. But if we turn away from God and his ways, and, or Washington said, if we disregard the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven has ordained, then the smiles of heaven are going to be removed from the land. There's a price to it. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. And so we have been given much. You know, we were here last time, uh, a, year, a year ago, America made a very big decision about the order of God concerning marriage. Well, that's major. You know, major. You cannot disregard the, the rules and order of heaven. Do you believe, do you believe um, in... Um in punishment or just, you know, when you ignore the rules 
of the universe. I mean, George Washington said it in a very non-religious sort of way. Mm-hmm. There are certain rules that you just obey. Yeah, I think it's both, Glenn. I think, I think God sets up things, and if you go against it, that happens. At the same time, there's correction. There's correction of saying, come back. Most of us don't come to God until something happens, and that's not true for pe- just for people. It's true for a nation. And that's why I kind of fear that there's a shaking coming to America, but for our own good. Okay, so we'll talk about that and the Book of Mysteries, what's in the Book of Mysteries, uh, coming up in just a second. The Glenn Beck Program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program. Jonathan Kahn, the uh, book is The Book of Mysteries. He is the author of The Harbinger and The uh, Mystery of the Shemitah. Um, so, Jonathan, let's go through the, uh, let's go through the mysteries and, and, and how it relates to mm-hmm. us today. Mm, yeah. Well, I feel, I, this is what I felt. I felt, I feel that we're going to be seeing very hard times and hard times for believers as well and those who are standing for God. And I wanted to do this to strengthen them, that we need to be strong in the days ahead. We need to be very grounded in the days ahead. So, so if the Harbinger opens up a mystery, the Book of Mysteries is revealing of hundreds of mysteries of God. And so, there, I mean, from mysteries of the end times, mysteries of heaven, hidden writings of the rabbis, um, the... the um, Christians have absolutely no idea how many layers there are to the Torah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you, when yeah. Jewish people have so much knowledge beyond Christian understanding of the Bible. Well, it's, you know, it's like 2,000 years ago, Glenn, you know, you know at the, if, you were, if we were here in the time of Jesus, you'd have, it was all together. You know, you had the Jewish disciples, you had Messiah, Jesus. Then they went their two separate ways. The, and the, most Jewish people lost something very big and, and Messiah, but... The church lost something, and, and that is the roots. That's the heritage, and I believe and this, God... Is, and the understandings. People, yeah. Christians look at the Bible and they go, you know, it, you know it's true because I can read it and it just speaks to me. Yeah, that, and there's about 400 <laughs> levels beyond yes. that underneath that you don't know because it's not taught which you would not Christians get, anymore. and you don't, and if you, you know, it's great. There, our translations are great, English is great, but... There's yeah. things hidden in, in the original Hebrew. language. I'll give you an example. This actually, this first one's the Greek. This is an end time. There's some of the things in there are end time mysteries. There's a word that's used when it says before the end comes, there'll be a great falling away from the faith. Now we see that. And, and it's called, we have the word apostasy. I mean, it's a civilization falling away from the ways of God. Well, we're watching it. We're talking about it. But people don't know hidden in that original word is something, a whole nother thing. Apostasia in the Greek doesn't just mean a falling away from faith. It literally means a departure from the state of being. So here's what it means. In the same day when you see culture falling away from the ways of God, you're going to see the departure from the state of being. Man departing from the state of manhood. Women departing from the state of womanhood. Marriage departing from the state of marriage. Family from the state of family. 
All these things we are watching. You want to know the reason why we're hearing all these things? Why we? Why the news? You know, blending of gender and all these things. It goes right to the word. It was hidden two thousand years ago. You'll see the same thing at the same time. You say to people who say we've we've seen these before. People have been looking for. I mean, because you believe we're headed towards the literal apocalypse. Yeah, uh, we're end times. Yes. Yes. Okay. We are. Yes. Um, what do you say to people who say we have one minute here before the break? Okay. Uh, John, uh, yeah. I mean, there's been yeah. a falling away a yeah. million times. We've never seen a falling away to this degree. I mean, we're seeing things that even Sodom and Gomorrah didn't see. So we're seeing things that are unprecedented. On top of that, the key sign that was given that you'll know, it said, when you see Israel come back in the world, that's it. Never happened before. It said, you know, and for 2,000 years, most of the church said, not going to happen. But God said it would happen. Jesus said, I'm not coming until it does happen. So 1948, back in the world. Then it says Jerusalem, 1967, there. It says the world will focus on Israel, will be a controversy. We're watching it. You know, right. then I was an atheist. That's what, that's what got me. You were an atheist? I was an atheist, totally. Back in just a second, Jonathan Kahn, The Book of Mysteries. Back in a minute. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Jonathan Kahn, uh, Jonathan Kahn has um, uh, has had an international and national bestseller uh, for quite a while, The Harbinger, and then The Mystery of the Shemitah. How long was The Harbinger? Top uh, uh, New Times, uh, two years, I think. Two years. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I, I never wrote a book. I didn't know how to write books, but that was I was led to do that. Just, uh, just an amazing book and um, just feels right to me. And you don't have to be... Um, you don't have to be really religious to, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff in there that you're like, hmm, okay, not a bad wake-up call, yeah. not a bad wake-up call, but we've missed all of them. As Israel did. It's scary. That's the how same, many, that's a template. How many more do you, do you think we... Wake-up calls we're going to have? The pattern, the pattern with ancient Israel is, you know, the warnings came, they ignored it, and then... As they ignored it, the shakings got bigger and bigger or more and more until either they were going to come back to God or they're heading to destruction. Well, they headed to destruction. You know, I pray that's not the same for America, but we're following the same course. We're not getting better. I mean, as a culture, we're racing away. You know, they went into slavery. The, the Southern Kingdom went to, into slavery. That's, that actually, they came back at the, you know, God restored them later, but the Northern Kingdom gone. That's where you hear the 10 lost tribes. Right. That's the northern. That was it. That's the harbin. So you, you have different templates, but both of them are that the nation, if they don't come back, they get worse. And since 9-11, we are certainly not closer to God no. than we were then. That's the scary thing. Um, so this, this book, you had, you know, I don't know, 360 mysteries, and you had to narrow it down. And I'm interested to hear because I know what I, know what I feel um, we need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering in your reflection and prayer and everything else, what do you think 
your message was to say this has to get out what what is it that the mysteries are tied together teaching what well okay there yeah there's 365 so that's one for every day of the year but the thing is that what i feel is this is is i don't right now i don't see america turning right now i mean i i pray yeah. you know second chronicles if my yeah, yeah. people that's but i don't see that right now but I see that, and as we were talking during the break, that it's not going to be necessarily easy that we're going to escape all these things. <laughs> it's how are you going to be in the midst of it? You know, if the dark is getting darker, we've got to get brighter. You know, that's how it was in the days of Jeremiah. And so this is to strengthen. I mean, it's also for people who don't know the Lord to bring them in. But it's to strengthen. It's if we have to, if, if America, listen, I can't control what America does. You know, I can't control yeah. America coming back or revival, but I can have revival in me. You know, I can't control what I do. I can't, to wake up, the church needs revival. God's people need revival. No matter what happens on the outside, we got to be that light. So this is, this is for that reason. Because okay. I, 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 I'm feeling the same thing, that, it don't, it, that nothing matters except that you kick yourself out of the anger into love, that yeah. you're strong, that you know what you believe. Yeah. That you're just willing to not go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. That's right, and stand. And yes. you cannot stand unless you're, you're standing on something and you're grounded. You know? It's just the man who built his house on the rock. The rain comes, the storms come. Jesus said, but it's going to stand. You have to be that. What do you say to people who say, well, okay, so we don't, I mean, this isn't the perfect thing, but we've got to do something. And uh, yes, I agree, but, you know, this is the best we got. I think we're, <laughs> well, I will say that I think I, I cannot judge, I, I cannot judge, you know, yeah, believers yeah, are, yeah. are between a rock and a hard place, yes. you know. Um, I, I mentioned, I know we're not getting political, but I mentioned that that I only found out when I look back that in the harbinger is Donald Trump years before. He's quoted, linked to Isaiah 910. What, what was the quote? Or what was is, it? He's one of those. It's, it's, the, it's the chapter called The Tower. And, you know, it's interesting because Donald Trump is linked to towers, you yes. know, and it's where, where the people of Israel are saying, we will rebuild stronger, bigger, better, higher. We will rebuild. We'll come back. Donald Trump is one of the ones quoted where he says, we're, we got to build this tower higher, bigger, stronger than before. We'll be great, you know. And listen, but here's the thing. On one side, if I look on one side, I see, I see a platform. I see an agenda that is totally against God. Yeah. I mean, it's gigantically, and we're going to be in big trouble on one hand in that sense. On the other hand, I see a big risk. You know, we don't know what Donald Trump's going to do, but I don't see any hope on the other side. Uh, there is a possibility, and God can do anything, and he can save people, and he can, he can touch us regardless of an evil, a, a bad leader. Or what. So I think the very, very fact that we're, we don't have a great choice is a sign of where we are. You know, yeah. so, so I, I cannot fault anybody. Everybody has Neither. to go before God yeah. on this question. But I know one side is going to be disaster. And the, the other thing, the other, the other thing, Glenn, is that, you know, we're already rolling down. You know, we've crossed that tipping point. We're rolling down. So right now, it's not going to take another activist president like Obama to push it farther. All we oh, need yeah. is a leader who will not stop it and it will accelerate. Yeah. That's why I believe regardless, our hope is not, our hope is not Washington. Our hope is God. And, that's what the, and that is no matter what happens, you can, be, you can stand, you can be strong, and you can be the light. That's why I wrote the book of Mysteries. So give me, um, because this is, this is why I, yeah. I love Jewish rabbis, um, because uh, they can take me through language that yes. Christianity doesn't give you. Unless, unless your pastor speaks Hebrew and has really studied it. Yes. 
um, and really gone through Torah study mm. to understand it. They, they're not teaching yeah. the depth of it. Yeah, most of it's been less. So, so yeah, there's so much you will not get. I'll give you an example in Hebrew. When you read, you read the Bible and you read the Hebrew scriptures, it talks about the love of God and the mercy of God. Now, that's what we read, but it, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say he has mercy. It's, uh, the word is rachamim. It means he has mercies, meaning you cannot say mercy singular. It's got to be plural, meaning this. There is no end to the mercies of God. No matter how, when you say the word for sin is, is singular, the word for his love is plural. So it means no matter how much sin you have, he's got more mercy. He's got more love. You cannot put it that. You wouldn't see that in the English, but it's there. Another thing, there's an there's a ancient uh, prophecy. Um, you know it, Glenn. Isaiah 53, which speaks about the, in, in Isaiah that a Messiah is going to die for our sins. I mean, this blew me away when I was an atheist. You know, it's in our book. Is what's this Catholic stuff doing in our book? You know, <laughs> so, so, so the, but in Hebrew, it, it, says, it, says in his de- it says in his death, but in Hebrew, it doesn't say his death. It says his deaths. In other words, Messiah will not just die one death. He will die everyone's death. And it means also in Hebrew that the word, that's, when it does that, it means that the word is so big that even the word death cannot explain what he did for us. I mean, that, you wouldn't see that in English. It's there. Right. Does it, another one like that. The word God itself. Very, it doesn't say God in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Very first name, it's Elohim. Elohim is not God. I mean, it's God, but it's actually another plural. In other places, it says gods. It's only one. It's one, God. But what it's saying is... Yeah. God is so big, so awesome, that the word God cannot even begin to, to contain how big this is. So there's no end. There's no end to God, and there's no end to knowing God. If you think you know God, you don't know the half of it. There's so much more to know. And, you know, at one point here, I, I didn't mention this, but I kind of use the harbinger that there's a teacher teaching this to a disciple in the desert. Every day he takes them to a mountain, or every day he, you know, and at one point, he takes him into a room with all these ancient books. You know, actually, looks like the Book of History looks like one of those ancient books. And and he says, "How long would it take you to learn all this? These books?" He said, "Well, lifetimes." He said, "Well, that's why you have eternity because that eternity is how long it takes to know God, and that's the thing. We we are never to stop seeking God. So there's no end." Tell me, tell me about. Um, uh, uh, hang on just a second. The um, the tenth of Av. Oh yes. Okay. This is the, this is what, the the existence of America is actually linked to a mystery of a ancient Hebrew holy day, and I've never shared this like you know in, in media. Here's the thing: there's a day on the Hebrew calendar when disaster comes for the Jewish people. It's the ninth of Av, when the temple was destroyed, Solomon on the ninth of Av. Hundreds of years later, Jesus predicted it: temple of Herod destroyed by the Romans, same exact day, ninth of Av. The Jews are driven out of, out, of, out of England, ninth of Av, out of Spain, ninth of Av, out of, out of, out of France. Everything. Holocaust is even linked to the ninth of Av. So this is a day of, 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 destruction. of destruction, disaster, mourning. But it's a big day in Israel. Big day, big day, and it keeps happening. And so, so, but here's the other thing about it. But the tenth of Av, God always brings a redemption. He, when, they, when they're out of one land, he's preparing another land. He keeps them alive. He keeps the Jewish people. So the tenth of Av is about redemption, begins the redemption. Well, here's the thing, Glenn. This is a few hundred years ago. The Jewish people are, have to flee Spain. They're, they're fleeing for their lives. They're told, if you don't get out, we're going to kill you. If you don't or, or convert, to, we're going to kill you. They're fleeing other ships, fleeing. And, and it's ninth of Av, again, ninth of Av, destruction. They're losing their greatest refuge, you know. May I, get, may I guess the year? Uh, you may guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 1492? 1492, the ocean blue, yes. And so here, so in the same, now here, in not just that. It's the same week. It's the same, right? In 
the same harbors of Spain while they're losing the refuge are the three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa yeah. Maria. So as they're at the greatest tragedy, God is preparing a new refuge. It's going to be, it's the beginning of America. And they're going to set sail on the 10th of Av, which is the day of redemption. So in other yeah. words, America, the very beginning right. of America is linked to this ancient mystery that God's going to, it's right. going to become the greatest refuge for the Jewish people in history. And not just the Jewish people, but if he does a refuge for the Jewish people, it's going to be a refuge for everybody. So the very existence of America is linked to this ancient Hebrew Holy Day. I will tell you, I learned the that. Jewish David Barton. Yeah, I know. No, I, learned that from, I learned that from a rabbi, I think, in Israel, uh, one, of the, one of the big, big rabbis over in Israel. Yeah. And he talked about the link, because we were doing um, uh, restoring courage in Israel during the week of Av, the, uh, the ninth of Av. Yes. And so we were there. And he said, you don't understand <laughs> And he explained the ninth, and then he explained the tenth, and said, great. "Here's the link to America." Is that in the book of mysteries? Yes, yes, that's one of 365 mysteries. The Tel Aviv mystery. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so stuff. much for being here. Oh, my blessing. Oh, it was a joy. It. Yeah, it was a joy. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, the book of mysteries. It's available everywhere. If you've not read any of his books, start with this one, then grab the Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah. Really good stuff that you just don't hear any place else. Jonathan, thank you so much. Thanks, You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Friday on the season premiere of The Wonderful World of Stew. A groundbreaking new series on racist racistry in America debuts, which might cost Stew his job as a white host. We'll see. You'll receive a primer on the less popular presidents of the United States, and Penn Gillette explains how to make fat disappear. What? Don't miss the fun. On a brand new episode of The Wonderful World of Stew. The show's so environmentally friendly, we use the word world right in the title. This Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and on demand all weekend at theblaze.com slash TV. Wow, I didn't know that was still on the air. That hurts. It's yeah, uh, it's it a surprise wow. to a lot of people. But. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that no. big of a surprise. No, it's we're stunned. We are. Have you watched that show, Stu? I have. Uh, Oof. Uh, this if was... this was a drudge headline, it'd be shock news. <laughs> Stu, still on the air. <laughs> we uh, uh, solved racism this weekend, which is... Uh, oh, you oh, solved it? Yeah, it was, I know you had that interview with Benjamin Watson late, yeah. earlier. Yeah, really really you solved it. To say, but we solved it. Well, it's a two-part series, think? so it takes Good. two weeks to solve it. Do you think maybe... We should have led with that today. If I mean, you know, it didn't, ah, it didn't cross yeah. my mind just, until now. I'm um, just going to put it on a show that we kind of bury it on Friday night. Uh, Not that we bury. That, bury. I didn't mean to phrase it that way. Okay. <laughs> I mean that we feature well, on Friday night at such the perfect so prominently at three in the morning. Right. Right. Well, there's uh, it's eight p.m. By the way, oh, in prime time. Prime time. I would right. also. There assume. is no. Can I tell you something? There is. <laughs> All of us are home on Friday nights. That's the time. That's the time. time. You haven't left left your house on a Friday night in 10 years. (laughs) I'm not saying that I'm the best example. By the way, there's another By the way, if I had one of those fallout shelters with the movie theater and the bowling alley and the shooting range, I would never leave my house. Why would you? There's another segment I think you'd you'd enjoy as well, an interview with Penn Gillette about losing weight. (laughs) Wait, what? Is that a... uh... What are you saying there? It just, it just, he talks about his experience about how he lost over well, 100 pounds. The promo said he could make fat disappear, so I thought, 
because he, oh, he, thought he, he can. I thought he was getting rid of Jeffy. He is, oh. a, well, he is a magician. <laughs> right. He's getting rid of right. Jeffy. He's cutting off Jeffy's leg. <laughs> Losing 100 pounds. Uh, the, uh, I'd be happy if my leg weighed 100 pounds. <laughs> the problem with Pendulette is, is he's like a committed to stuff. I know. He's an extremist. I know. <laughs> he is. He is. Extremist. He is. He's like, if I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to really stick to right. it. Right. I'm going to yeah. lose like a, a pound a day. A pound a day. Whatever. He lost all 100 pounds in like three months. That's and crazy. Yeah. The, the, I like to go on record saying, I think he looks ill. No, I think he's right? great. He's, he's, right? No, so you got to say that because that he helps scurvy? me not lose my I, I thought he had scurvy. He oh. looks like he has scurvy. <laughs> like, I don't want to go to the gym. I might get too